wherever you are in this country where there is significant Latinx presence, you are going to find fans of this music and people listening to this music and mm. artists who are making this music. So if you go to places like Miami, if you go out to the parts of L.A., if you go out to Chicago, you're going to hear this stuff because the reality is that Latinos, Latinx people are not a monolith. We're not all one kind. It's diversity of sound. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. It's a diversity of cultures. It's a diversity of interests. But music like this unites those people. I'm music journalist Christina Lee. I'm writer, researcher, and professor Dr. Regina N. Bradley. This is Bottom of the Map. Southern hip-hop explored, explained, exalted. It's Chris. Hi. How you? I'm good. How are you? I have a confession to make. With the content of this week's episode, I am at the kitty table. Okay, at the kitty table? <laughs> I am at the kitty table. So we're talking about global trap, the influence of trap across the world. And, you know, Dr. Regina Bradley can admit her truths. I'm not familiar. I'm not as put on game as you might be as a journalist because as a scholar, you know, they want you to pick your one little niche. And my niche is from like, the 1990s up until like 2007. That's my professional The niche. root of trap, essentially. The roots, you know, the roots. But for the most part, I am on the porch or the poach, shaking my fist at the kids going by listening to new trap because I don't know what the hell they listening to. So this episode is more to really think about, you know, how trap has branded and rebranded itself as a global musical marketplace. If it makes you feel any better, Regina, this is all overwhelming to me as well, right? I just feel like you're just closer to the game because, you know, you have to be as the journalist extraordinaire. But I think if we were to look back at Trap's humble beginnings, I don't think anybody could have necessarily anticipated how it would become this global sound. And when we're talking about the sound in particular, we are talking about some of the production hallmarks, right? We're talking about the 808, we're talking about the bass. We're talking about those really quick hi-hats. And then just overall, even some of the flows and the tempos and everything. So when we are talking about Global Trap, yes, we're talking about how this easily recognizable sound has been embraced by artists as far from the dirty south as Chengdu, China. And we're also going to take a deep dive into the world of Latin Trap with our special guest, Gary Suarez. So let's let's start uh, in the shallow end of the pool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what I'm familiar with. Dip our toes. Let me put on my Trap Purist shirt. Okay. <laughs> so the very first episode of our podcast, we talked about how Trapped has evolved, right? But I think that we have been doing a little bit of pontificating and we decided that there are waves of Trap. Yes. So we got like the first wave of trap, which is the wave that I'm most comfortable with, which is the street hustle era of the trap. The beginning of the timeline. Yeah. Like, you know, kind of like how did this narrative, how did this thing start? So I'm thinking like 90s to like 2005 with Thug Motivation 101. I feel like that's the first 
wave. How you feel about that, Miss Chris? You feel like that's about right? That sounds pretty good. Essentially, like I feel like the first wave of trap is pretty well cataloged in the Trap Music Museum in right. Atlanta. And we spoke to one of the curators of that particular museum, which is visual artist Dia Warfield. Oh, he's so dope. So we kicked off season two of Bottom of the Mat with a live event at the Trap Music Museum where we spoke to D.L. Warfield at length about the roots of trap. So live from the Trap Music Museum. Live from the Trap Museum. Appreciate y'all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I think like for me it was a little different because like I had already heard like a bunch of like the LaFace artists talk about trap and the Mm. trap and things like that. So I never really like looked at it like a genre at that that point. And even like in T.I.'s first album, uh, I'm Serious album, you know, he would mention trap and say trap and different things, but like nobody put a label on it. I didn't think that it would really become like a subgenre. You know, I thought it might, you know, it might fade away, and it actually didn't. So the the fact that it had staying power and the fact that it is truly a genre of rap that Atlanta created, I think is dope. When you have, you know, like a music genre that is leading the world, mm-hmm. you know, and everything comes from here and it all comes from that movement, like you might want to find out how it happened, you know, and how it started. So, with with all art movements and all creative movements, like they're not like a reflection of the times, right. you know. I think that me personally, I think that uh, like the first wave was a reflection of the time, mm-hmm. and the second wave has been a reflection of the reflection. So I want to see what the next phase is going to have, you know. And I think like to me, like that'll, you know, it'll make the genre to continue to grow, you know. And it won't be, you know, like how grunge just went, grunge music went away, you know, and it was a subgenre of rock. So, and it's because all of those grunge bands sound exactly the same, you know? Mm-hmm. So they was like, we're done. I think like with hip hop, I think it has to be the same thing. Like trap is a subgenre of hip hop, but if everybody sounds the same for so long, then it's gonna go away. Then the pool starts to come Absolutely, yeah, and then something else is gonna come. But, you know, if people come up, you know, with different songs, different melodies and things like that, I think that makes it continue to grow. Well, Dale, thank you so much for joining appreciate us here you. for this oh. event called A Trap in a Dream. We appreciate you so Thank much. you very much. As we're talking about this modern global trap era, you you know, a lot of folks would be asking themselves, like, how is it exactly that all these different nations from around the world are relating to this particular music coming out of the American South? And I think it is precisely because the production styles really invited listeners in. You know, like hip hop, like a lot of other genres of music, has always helped become the soundtrack to different countercultures like around the world. Mm-hmm. But I think like once the production styles really shifted, listeners from around the world really took that all to heart and they were like listen we want to join that party too that was essentially the mindset yeah but i mean it's also thinking about access to the music too Mm -hmm. like that second wave is also right there at the cusp of us becoming like the digital age so like the internet and introduction of you know of course myspace but also folks are starting to get into like Bandcamp and soundcloud and all of these oh let me listen to this right but i i'm wondering i want to hear your thoughts on this though too because like you were you were mentioning earlier like hip-hop is one of those exports of the united states that really catches on around the world like i remember talking to a friend of mine in graduate school and he was from ghana and he was like I remember there were two gangs in school, Tupac and Biggie. Oh, my God. And I was like, for real? He was like, yeah. So, yeah. like, they were actual, like, for real, yeah. like, gangs. Uh-huh. So, I'm, so one of the things I'm wondering about is, like, 
because we're, we have access to the sound now through the internet, is that making it faster to absorb this compared to like when things were coming out earlier mm-hmm. where, you know, it took a little bit of time because we didn't have 5G internet. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's absolutely a factor because even in an age where I feel like, so let me put it this way. Okay. Last year, Mike, Mike's mom and I visited Beijing and Tibet. Mike's mom works in Tibet. This is a part of the world that we think is generally isolated from mm. the rest of the world. You know, there's still like, I mean, we spent the majority of the time visiting like these really critical temples that were really central to Buddhism becoming like a really important cultural force there, right? Mm-hmm. So we're visiting temples here, temples there. We're, um, and then there was, but before we even got to Tibet, Mike and I visited the Great Wall of China. Here's the thing about China. Basically, in order to evade the government surveilled internet, you have to have a VPN. So even though China is basically trying to regulate the nation's, you know, access and use and the information that's like available to them, mm-hmm. when Mike and I are on the bus that's heading away from the Great Wall of China, mm-hmm. the dude right in front of us was listening to a trap group out of Chengdu by the name of Higher Brothers. My chance new girl watch made in China. We play ping pong ball made in China. And then even after that, after we visited the Great Wall of China, we uh, flew over to Tibet. We spent a couple days there. And I think on, I want to say like our third day, uh, Mike's mom and I had walked into a souvenir shop. And the first thing we hear when we walk in is a trap beat. So even though the internet in that part of the world is really heavily regulated, the trap still made it over there. No matter how much like government oversight there may be, I feel like the internet is definitely responsible for the trap basically proliferating as a sound around the world. So if you can't get the lyrics that might be censored, the beat itself was universal. Absolutely. Or it, it's it's becoming universal because that's more accessible. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And even if it isn't accessible, that even makes it a little bit more appealing to folks that are looking for something to speak to a newer generation, right? Mm. So it's through the use of like these VPNs, these other ways of access that they're watching like noisy Atlanta documentaries. It's particularly significant for a group like Higher Brothers because they're coming out of Chengdu and it just kind of goes to show how hungry folks are to relate to these type of stories. But I also think it's also something else I was thinking about when you were you were sharing is also that it's an opportunity to recognize how struggle manifests and how music is a way to work through that. Even if there is a language barrier, the Literally. music is an opportunity to be like, "Oh, you struggling shit. I'm struggling too." Like, <laughs> let me let me I mean like but let me show you what it's like here. That the idea of, I mean especially in that first wave, like that recognition of oppression and how that oppression is represented in the music as compared to how it's talked about politically, socially, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a free space to actually not only vent those concerns and frustrations, but also to recognize there's an art to it. Yeah, And that, that's what's traveling is how do we give the artistic brand of trap across the world to allow folks to speak their truth to power? 
So, Miss Chris, if the first wave of, of trap is the T.I.s and the Cujo Goodies and the Jeezys and the Backbones and the Gucci Mains, the second wave is who? Who's in that? Who's in that wave? Future, yeah. Young Thug, Migos. Yeah. Those folks are firmly in the in the second wave. Would you put somebody like Pill in the second wave? He's like one and a half. He's like he is he like the interstitial space. He's in between. He's exiting the first wave and leading us into the second wave. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So then, like the third wave is like the global. We kind of talked about that, but um, so Higher Brothers would be an example of that. Yeah. Uh, Black Pink, which is the K-pop group. So the folks who really epitomize this global trap era are the same folks who showed up at Super Bowl 54 earlier this year. And I mean, they me, didn't just show up, girl. They was they brought it. They bring it. Bad Bunny and J Balvin. They turned out. <laughs> So if Super Bowl 54 was demonstrating this is what the possibilities of a Latin trap could look like, we had to get a little bit of help. So we are going to holler at Gary Suarez. We only got like one Super Bowl every 50 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> More bottom of the map after this break. Gary Suarez is the rare music journalist who I think is just as well versed in Bad Bunny as he is with 3-6 Mafia. He has freelanced for Forbes. Vulture and Vice. We reached Gary in New York from our studio in Atlanta. A quick word before we get started, this conversation took place prior to the tragic passing of the artist Pop Smoke. Uh, my name is Gary Suarez. I am a music critic and music journalist uh, based in New York City. I've been doing this for about 20 years and uh, I'm not sick of it yet. From a geographic standpoint, where did Latin trap really start to emerge? Where's is, the origin story? What is the origin story? I mean, this is where I start to show my biases. Uh-oh. Um, but one of the first places where you have Latin trap starting is in New York City. Oh, my. That, that is a direct result of the fact that uh, Puerto Ricans as well as Dominicans uh, have a presence here in mm-hmm. New York. And there is that kind of fluidity of travel between these countries, particularly for Puerto Rico. So it's not surprising that some of the first artists who were making this music were artists in New York. So people like Messia. These are artists who aren't necessarily ones that you might recognize off the rip. But one thing I'll point out is that when Cardi B did Bodak Yellow, speaking of New York and trap, pulling from other places, 
Hmm. When she did Bodak Yellow, when she did the remix of Bodak Yellow, the Latin remix, she didn't get Bad Bunny. She didn't get any of those guys. She got Messia mm-hmm. from New York to do it, which is a very telling thing. <laughs> She was recognizing New York's part in what was happening in Spanish language hip hop at that time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because you have, obviously, you have the artists from Puerto Rico. You have Anuel Dobrea, and you have Bad Bunny, and you have Baruco, and you have this whole slew of artists. And then you know, there's this whole scene in, in Medellin, uh, all this stuff coming out of Colombia. But I have to, having done my due diligence, I have to say that it starts in New York. And I'm sure there's many people who are going to yell at me about it, but it starts in New York. If you talk to people like Messia, they will tell you exactly that. So here's the thing I find interesting, though, is that when we when we think about, like, the origins of just hip-hop in general, like, they're like, oh, New York is the Mecca, but it's almost <laughs> like it's a like a migration thing. This isn't the first time that we've paid attention to Caribbean-influenced music, you know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking about reggaeton in particular. How do you feel like this idea of Latin trap, does it borrow at all from, like, what we hear from, like, reggaeton? Does it borrow from any of those, like, earlier things? Or does it, like, nah, we're doing our own thing based on whatever? Well, it's interesting because there is factionalism that does exist within that scene. Mm-hmm. There are some Latin trap artists who are like, no, this is a Puerto Rican sound. Oh, wow. And I'll say that. And then there are others who say, well, this is an American sound. And then you get this sort of this blurring that happens now. But the thing is, is you had reggaeton, which started out again. Reggaeton's influence was from two places. Mm-hmm. It was from American hip hop and Jamaican reggae. Right. So dance right. hall. Yep. So that's how you get that's how you get that together. If you listen to like Daddy Yankee stuff from the 1990s yep. before Gasolina, mm-hmm. that's dance hall and New York hip hop mixed together. Because I was also you thinking know, about like Pitbull and, and Lil Jon, like that 100%. whole that whole like 100%. craze that happened in the early 2000s too. Do you feel like because folks came to New York to perform, it was kind of taking you away from you know the the birthplace so that you could experiment? So it was like, nah, this ain't trap. But it, like the further away you get, the more leeway you have. Well, I think you know in the same way that like when when People were giving ASAP Rocky a lot of a lot of nonsense because they're like, "Oh, he sounds like Houston." Sure. It was like we weren't mm-hmm. judging him for that here in New York. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what was happening. We we were interested in what he was doing because we were listening to more things. So I think that that distance from the source allows for a little more experimentation, a little more play, and for places people to put their spin on it. And I think for for Latinos, I think you've had a real opportunity to take this and speak to it. You're just like. You want to talk drug talk, like you tell me, you know, Latinos have something to say. Every other every other rap song in the nineteen nineties is like Tony Montana mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like it's just like you know all that narcos talk that happens now. Like it's just like this. Who do you think the plug is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, go t- talk that shit, sir. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, who, do you, who do you think it is? My God, if you listen to the Migos, you know who the plug is. Yo, that's going to be somebody's mixtape. Who do you think the plug is? <laughs> right. There was literally only one song, I think, where Quavo talked about the plug being Vietnamese. But other than that, we all know where the plug came from, right? Respect. respect. I, appre- I appreciate that he is diversifying his options. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So from your perspective, when did 
you realize that this shit was hitting critical mass to where even these English language outlets couldn't ignore this shit anymore, no matter how hard they tried. Mm -hmm. So at the end of 2017, I wrote kind of a small manifesto for Vice about how we had overlooked in the English language press Mm -hmm. Latin trap as the biggest music trend of that year. Mm. And a lot of people saw that and were like, whoa, wait, what do you mean? And this is when, because 2017 marks the first time a Latin trap song made it onto the Hot 100. Are you talking about Kirby Kush? Yes, I am. And that happens with Nicki Minaj getting involved on that remix because you put Nicki Minaj on a song, it, it goes on the Hot 100. It just happens. <laughs> And if you had looked at what was happening prior to that, it would have been very easy to dismiss and say, oh, that's just the product of Nicki Minaj. But if you had looked at what had happened prior to that, you would have seen all of these artists, your Farukos, Bad Bunny, people like that, were building up massive online following. You saw it in YouTube counts. You saw it mm. in Spotify plays. They were growing in audience, and they were playing sold-out shows in markets like Miami and New York. Mm-hmm. And it was only a matter of time. At that point, I saw, into, by the end of 2017, I was saying, it's only a matter of time before we have something big. Not surprisingly, 2018, and by, what was it, April? Mm-hmm. Cardi B's I Like It drops, and mm-hmm. you get Bad Bunny and J Balvin. Suddenly you have the number one song in the country, and two-thirds of it's in Spanish. Tu compra todas las Jolambo, a mi me la regalan. I spend in the club, what you have in the bank. This is the new religion bank, the Latino gang. Está toda servieta, pero es que en el closet tengo mucha grasa. Ya mude la Gucci pa' dentro de casa, yeah. Cabrón, a ti no te conoce ni en plaza. El diablo me llama, pero Jesucristo me abraza. Guerrero como Eddie, que viva la raza, So one of the things I was thinking about when you kind of talk about how it exploded is the role of social media. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, you know, that type of the type of digital communities that are being established to support this and how, you know, we like you said, like we can't keep ignoring what that is because we are so invested in social media. Because a lot of what happens is we think about things anecdotally. We Mm. think about, okay what we see. But when we actually look at the data is Latinos, Hispanics by Nielsen. Nielsen is from Nielsen data consume digital content, use digital services exponentially more than any other group in the United States. That includes your Instagram, that includes YouTube, that includes all these places. So this is where young Latinos are operating. They are on these sites in large numbers in the U.S. and globally. They've used these platforms to build these massive audiences. And it's done in such an organic way that it's undeniable. Like, you would look at some of these artists, and, you know, there's always the talk of, like, oh, people buy followers, like that. 
that's true, but you can't argue with the numbers. You can't argue with the actual analytics of what's happening. These artists are getting played. Mm-hmm. And I think that that played a huge role in growing these people up because they developed images. There was what, you know, what a, a trap artist from Puerto Rico looks like, you know, there are some templates that exist. You know, there's some style things, there's some brands that people want to mess with. Like, there's all that is presented on that medium, and it's an easy place to promote your music. Mm-hmm. So you've got the visual component and the musical component coming together in a way where there is where Latinos are spending their time online. And that makes for a huge statement, too, because when you end up looking at the numbers at the end of the day, you know, you have these artists outperforming the folks that we in Atlanta are inclined to think is like the like some of the trap originators, like when they're outperforming like a future. You know, as far as like just like YouTube streams in particular, that kind of I mean, to me, like when I read shit like that, like that kind of puts me in my place because it's like, oh, this world, it's actually really vast. And I'm just like a small microcosm in all this, you know, so it keeps us in check for sure. I think it's easy for a lot of people to compartmentalize their entertainment. I think it's easy for people in this day and age, given the way that algorithms work, to be fed the kind of stuff that they want to see and want to hear. And what these things by design do is they treat Spanish language content as something that's only for people who speak Spanish, which is Mm. 100% the wrong approach. Media outlets are terrible. English language media outlets are terrible about this stuff. They think they see Bad Bunny and J Balvin and think those are the only two people doing this. The, the, the major issue that comes into this stuff that is that Latin America, ha- like the U.S., has serious issues of colorism that mm-hmm. exists within. So you first have to get through the color barriers that exist in the Spanish language media. And then once you get through that, you have to get into the English language media. Right. So one of the biggest songs of last year was from an Afro-Panamanian artist, Sech. He had the like one of the biggest songs of last year. It's still one of the biggest songs, one of the biggest Spanish language songs in the country right now. And what song was that, Gary? That's 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 called Otro Trago. Okay, great. So another drink. Sigue aquí tomándose otro trago. Su exnovio con otra esta. Los amigos subieron un estado. Que hoy de farra se van Te cambió siendo mejor que ella Por mujeres y un par de botellas Por amigos que no son amigos en verdad Porque sé que te van a escribir cuando él se va Everybody go to the disco Y ahora lo puro y sin It is, he's a, he is part of an R&B wave that's coming up, that's been coming up in this music. Mm. So it kind of has that trap feel, but he's a singer more so than a rapper. And he's like, he's a heavy set dude. He is, you know, not from Puerto Rico or from Colombia or any of the places that are kind of being funneled through. He is an outlier. And he had one of the biggest songs. And it's like, that's the sort of artist you, you know, if you're going to see somebody represented, that's what I want to see. I mean, we've known about Bad Bunny and J Balvin since, I mean, 
we, America, anybody who heard I like it, has heard about these people for a year and a half now. Like at some point, there is a need for people to open their eyes. But again, as I said before, you've got a media that is has inherent biases, and you have algorithms on these services that silo Spanish language content. That record is a really great example, but if you were to include other names in the conversation, so to kind of expand our knowledge beyond like a Bad Bunny and a J Balvin, what are some records that folks should listen to or some names that people should pay attention to? I mean, so this is where my bias is going to come right back in again. Okay. Uh, is, uh, there is, so I don't know how closely anybody who's listening is following uh, what's happening in Drill right now mm. uh, in Brooklyn, mm. like in Brooklyn and, and, and in the five boroughs. You know, New York is having its drill moment. You know, we've got Pop Smoke. We've mm-hmm. got, you know, right. we got Chef. <laughs> we got some really, like, Sleepy Hollow. we got really great people. But there's also a Spanish wave that is coming up within that, too. Mm-hmm. You have an artist called Chucky Siete Tre, mm-hmm. uh, who's part of a crew called Siete Tre. Mm-hmm. He's got an amazing song called uh, Weenie. Nah, nah. But I want to blow, I got to the guapo, but I want to smoke, okay? Ferry, Bahama, Camelo, me hablan del lío de una mujer velo. Tenemos la Fanta, el Ling y la Yellow. Tu jeba me tira que ya quiera celo. Para I want to blow, porque como vuelo. Atrás de la guala, no quiero tensero. Andamos en el Howie, rompiendo milleros. Buscalo en el piso, que dejo un reguero. Ella es una mala, me da cabeza, ey. Ey, yo lo estoy buscando, piensa volviesa, ey. Ey, lo estamos contando encima. He's also, you got his people who he's with. Uh, he's got a guy named Fetty with him who's amazing. This guy, Young Killer, is absolutely killing it. No, uh, no pun intended. His song is called Killer. The Latin trap wave is still going on, but a lot of those Latin trap artists are also playing with pop and playing with uh, reggaeton a bit more and kind of building within that. But there is some really hard stuff that's coming out in this sort of edge of drill and trap on the Spanish language side. And I think more people should be checking that out because it's really only a matter of time before those artists get huge. Wherever you are in this country where there is significant Latinx presence, you are going to find fans of this music and people listening to this music and Mm. artists who are making this music. So if you go to places like Miami, if you go out to the parts of LA, if you go out to Chicago, you're going to hear this stuff because the reality is that Latinos, Latinx people are not a monolith. We're not all one kind. It's diversity of sound. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. It's a diversity of cultures. It's a diversity of interests. But music like this unites those people. So that was our friend of the podcast, music journalist Gary Suarez. You can find his work on... Forbes, Vice, Rolling Stone, and we're so appreciative of him taking the time to join us. So before we get to the goodie bag segment where listeners ask us questions and we choose which ones to answer, uh, we just want to talk about like what we learned coming out of that interview because that shit was enlightening as hell. I mean, you know how like in the South we'd be like, my people and them. Uh-huh. So so what would we say for gay? Would we say, mi gente and them? <laughs> <laughs> that's how, that's Cue not... the J Balvin. Yeah, let me, let me know. But yo, I'm just, in my mind, I'm just so... I really just want to go home and have like a whole 
Latin trap night. Just, you know what I'm saying? But I think the thing that most stands out is what we've been saying on this podcast all along is that there is no such thing as a monolithic hip hop experience. And he really, I feel like that's what really drove home for me is that even these musical influences, they take root in the soil that they're being listened to in such a way that it presents this unique conversation but it's a conversation that's being had around the world and I just mm-hmm. really thought that that was really that just really stood out from the whole I mean like I love the whole interview but I mean like that really stood out is that in the ways that we can't talk about hip-hop's not a monolith the south is not a monolith definitely he has proven to me tonight that trap is definitely not a monolith I mean, if anything, it just goes to show how narrow our whole perception is of Latin trap at this particular moment. Obviously, for um, something like the Super Bowl, you have to go to the most obvious answers, like a Bad Bunny and a J Balvin. But I feel like that conversation really opened up our eyes as to just how much more music there is to listen to, period. Like you were saying, Gina, like our playlists are going to be full. This is really only the beginning. And I'm just like really looking forward to what folks like Gary are going to be documenting in the future. We're in a place where... American populations in general are going to continue to diversify and therefore this American born trap sound is only going to continue to sound global because it's going to reflect the diverse communities that currently exist in America. So there is no stopping this particular evolution into the third wave of trap. Trap and Southern hip hop in general came to sample the genres that came before it whether that's funk, blues, or soul, to kind of develop their own sort of musical language. I feel like right now we're at a stage where trap is very much one of those tools that um, this increasingly global audience is using to speak to the current circumstances and problems concerning the world today. It is time for what's becoming my favorite part of the show, the goodie bag segment. So let's dip in and see what folks want us to talk about in terms of comments, snide remarks, and all that good stuff. Welcome to the goodie bag. Welcome to the goodie bag. Sign me, bitch. So we are at that part of the program, folks. We are digging into the goodie bag for this week. Who is our goodie bag from this week, Miss Chris? None other than senior writer of DJ Booth, Mr. Yo Phillips, decided to hit us up with a question. Oh, let me get my life together. Okay, let's see what he got to say. I would ask if they had to rank their top five favorite trap artists, how would they rank them? For Gina Mae's Mount Trapmore. Okay. All right, I got Tip because he branded it. Jeezy. Because he really took that idea of trap sonically to a different level. I have to put 3-6 on there. Gucci and Cujo Goody. That's all five? I think that's going to make it do what it does. <laughs> I'm an English major, not a math major, goddamn. <laughs> the only thing I can't correct is my money. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying. My personal top five list would have to be Cool Breeze because mm-hmm. of East Point's greatest hit. Okay. Um, it would have to be Jeezy because of TM 101. Mm-hmm. It would have to be Future mm. because that 2014-2015 mixtape run is just legendary. Legendary. Okay, meathead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have to put Kevin Gates on that list. Interesting. Unconventional pick, I realize, but he mm-hmm. is definitely more of a trap noir. 
and I'm a real sucker for that shit. Okay. And uh, to cap that off, I would have to put Migos on that list. Mm. Simply because of how they play with the lyrical tropes that we come to expect for trap music, mm. but do so via this more pop-friendly format. I love it. Thank you for listening to Bottom of the Map, brought to you by WABE and PRX. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It will help more people find this show. Follow Bottom of the Map on your social media platforms at BOTM Pod. Again, that's BOTM Pod. Bottom of the Map is hosted by Christina Lee and Dr. Regina N. Bradley. Produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Edited and mixed by Stephen Major Key. Our executive producers are Jaan Barry and John Haas. Our theme music is produced by Smith and Cash. Special thanks to Mike Johns and Lois O.G. Reitzes. This program was made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Follow, subscribe, Connect. Holla. It's as they say in international players anthem, Mike, I choose you.